Welcome to another edition of Sports with Friends. This is episode 392. This is our first episode in the month of March. We had a big time February. We also had a great January. So 2023 is off to a nice start for the podcast. We're creeping ever so close to episode 400. The NHL season has been great. And today on the podcast, we are going to have one of the preeminent NHL announcers in the game today. He started out with the Hartford Whalers as their PR director. He eventually got on the air, called their games, and then when the franchise moved to Carolina, he went with them and for decades was the voice of the Carolina Hurricanes. He also did network broadcasts for the NHL on NBC. And then last year, he uprooted his entire life and did a move that I'm a little familiar with. I remember being an East Coast guy who uprooted my whole life to move to Seattle, Washington. John Forslund did the same thing. He is now the television voice of the Seattle Kraken on Root Sports. You know, ever since the Seattle Kraken were a team, we've covered this on Sports with Friends. Back on episode 11, Chris Daniels, who recently left King to go to Como, uh, t- great television announcer and a great reporter, he came on episode 11 of the podcast to talk about the Seattle arena possibilities for the NBA and an NHL franchise. Then later on, episode 167, Todd Lywicki, the CEO of NHL Seattle and the Kraken, talked about the key arena remodel and the potential for an NHL expansion franchise, which was awarded and became the Kraken. Chris Daniels returned episode 175 when the team was announced. And then recently, episode 372, Seattle Times reporter Jeff Baker, who recently wrote a book on the first year of the Kraken, uh, joined us on the podcast. I had a chance to hang out with Jeff when the Kraken were in New Jersey to play uh, the Devils. And I got a chance to sit and talk off air uh, with Jeff Baker a lot. So we have covered the Kraken extensively, and you know my affinity for the city of Seattle. It is an absolute thrill to talk to John Forslund today. It is also the NFL Combine, so who thought we could take a break from football? There are actual odds on the NFL Combine, and we'll get the latest ones from the head odds maker at BovadaSportsBook.com, Patrick Morrow. So when I found out that one of the most respected announcers in the NHL was going to my old hometown, to voice this new hockey team that was going to exist. I was absolutely thrilled. And then through streaming services, I was able to watch all the Kraken games late at night. And uh, I have said, you know, I'm not losing my allegiance to my beloved New Jersey Devils, but uh, the Kraken are definitely a team that are near and dear to my heart. John Forslund, thanks so much for getting up early in the morning to do this. I'm so thrilled to have you on the podcast. I tried to hook up when you were actually on the East Coast because I'm I'm trying to move toward in-person podcasts. But if we were going to do Zoom, you might as well do it all the way across the country. Well, Seth, thanks for having me. It's hard to tie me down based yeah. on the way we travel, um, but it's my pleasure to be here. And uh, don't lose your allegiances. You can have a space in your heart for two teams. That's always good. And you got you got both coasts covered. So that's uh, that's, right. that's the way to go. That's right. I remember in the beginning, uh, I was the nerd. Just to show you what, what kind of a nerd I am. Uh, I my in my the beginning of my career, I did a pre and post game for the Colorado Avalanche in the nineties. And I was thrilled when the Devils came to town because in the old McNichols arena, those two teams had met 
as the Colorado Rockies and the Quebec Nordiques. And I was the only dork who thought that was really, really cool. Yeah, that really is. That, and that goes a long way back. And that building was a, that was a special place. Like we did a few games there yeah. and I uh, remember it. And uh, I remember the confines underneath and now the locker rooms were tight and everything. And uh, of course now they have a great facility like most places, but um, yeah, we, some of us do remember a lot of things set. So that's, <laughs> a, that's a quality today. Believe me. I bet. I bet. Well, I, I want to go backwards, but I don't want to necessarily do it in uh, in timeline fashion. This isn't a roast uh, by by any stretch. Um, John, this season has been very, very different than last season. Uh, last season, there was no secret. There was just a um, you know, there was a lack of talent. Uh, there, there, there was no mm-hmm. secret about it. Uh, this year, they seem to have turned it around. There's been an influx of new guys, including some youth. What's been the difference in your mind with the same coach, the same GM and the same fan base? I think they realized that it was really hard to score and they were about, you know, you look at their metrics, they were about a goal short per game of where they needed to be to win a game. And if that's going to be the case and they played a pretty solid defensive system with the group they had in the first year, you're going to need better goaltending than they received. And everybody thought that Philip Grubauer would be that. And had he played to a level, I think he expects then maybe they would have been in, in games tighter and the season would have been a little easier to digest. And then when you factor in the, that you had a brand new group of individuals trying to navigate through a COVID season I think it was difficult and the season became very draining uh challenging uh, I think the players the, the the core group got worn down um and then you know at the trading deadline Ron Francis started to uh, utilize it to his advantage and trade people that were on expiring contracts or crew draft choices and get to work in the summer and what did he do he went out and he added some offensive pieces a little piece on the back end that has an offensive side to his game an extra goaltender because they, they needed it adjusted the coaching staff a little bit and they came back with a fresh attitude that didn't exist in the first year because now COVID was gone. They were used to the city and they could finally get used to each other. So you put all of that in a bowl and you mix it up and your chemistry is pretty good. And so this season, um, they, they've had great scoring balance and, and great scoring all season. They've outscored their problems most of the season. They're running into a little bit of a rut now. Um, you take one piece out and every team has injuries, but a team like this, you take a Burakovsky out of your lineup yeah. and it screws up the four lines. And I think that's where they're at right now. So they're going through a challenge. They got a big road trip coming up. They're in a position to make the playoffs, but in the second season of a, of a franchise here, I think uh, not many thought they'd be in this spot. So it's pretty good. It, it has been, um, you know, there has been a, a an interesting uh, perspective. I had Jeff Baker on the podcast at the beginning of the season, and he talked about how, you know, this team really was acquired. And, you know, from a fan perspective, you know, this arena was built for this team. But the reality is, is this fan base is obsessed with getting a basketball team back. Yeah. Um I thought it was it behooved the Kraken to win fans over what I have always said about the NHL. And even though, you know, I, I spent a majority of my career covering baseball, the, the NHL to me has always been my number one. And what I've always said is uh, I, I always tell any fan who doesn't know about hockey, just go to one game and then look me in the eye and tell me it's awful. <laughs> that never happens. And it, it's truly amazing. Has that word of mouth happened in Seattle um, Has it been where the non-hockey fan is starting to catch on to what's going on? That's a that's a really good question. Um, 
Yes and no. I think in a way, yes, but that is a mission and a job that's going to take a while to get that, you know, casual individual to come. I think people casually have come to see what the building's like. So you have that curious uh, curiosity factor, which existed in the first year. I think what's important here is this, and you're absolutely right. I've always felt through all my years in hockey, there are, there are two uh, segments of people that look at hockey, the people that love the game and have the passion for it. And we know why. And then there's people that don't. And most of that, most of that group is because they don't just don't get it because they've never seen it. Yeah. And I think what's vital before the NBA gets here, which looks like it may happen, they have to make the Stanley Cup playoffs at least once. They have to get in and expose the market to playoff hockey. As you know, this, and I, listen, you're preaching to the choir with this one. The Stanley Cup playoffs are better than any postseason. There's in any nothing sport. like it. There's, no, there's nothing like it. And I tell people that. But until they experience it, and I went through this in North Carolina, until they experience this, they don't get it. They say, yeah, 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 like most, right? Like, yeah, yeah, tell me about it. And you listen to a conversation. But you just have to get in there and seeing is believing. So when they get in and they see a playoff game, at least they can say, wow. That was exhausting. That was exhilarating. That was everything it is. And I can't wait for next year. That's when you hook a fan base. You know, when the Hurricanes finally did it, when they finally challenged the mighty New Jersey Devils in the early 2000s, um, that's when the, the, the register started to go. That's when everything started to fall into place. And it still took a long time. And they went through a long playoff drought. And now they're, you know, they're the they're the darlings of the NHL right now, but they've been around a long time and have had a roller coaster ride. So I think here that's vitally important. When the NBA comes, it's big, big, big news. It's going to have unbelievable support through the roof of Climate Pledge Arena, if you will. Um, but we're going to be partners with it and we're going to be in the same neighborhood and we can coexist because this is a major market that's starving for winter sports. And, uh, but the Kraken have to earn their way to that. More with John Forslund in just a moment, but first let's get the latest in sports gambling with the latest odds from Bavada's head odds maker, Patrick Morrow and Patrick, let's start with the national football league in March. This weekend is the NFL Combine. People are putting a lot of money on this. What are folks betting on and what are the odds? Oh, goodness, Seth. Why can the NFL ever take any day off? I mean, we have uh, the draft to look forward to soon. The Super Bowl was just a mere two weeks behind us, I think. Um, nicer times for me being in Costa Rica. Now I'm freezing back in Montreal. But yeah, we, we have the Combine. And as we say too many times to count, the NFL is king. So. While we do have some omissions at the Combine, we know Bryce Young's not going to be there throwing. He's going to wait for the Alabama Pro Day. Uh, there's going to be a lot of other people in attendance, uh, including Rich Eisen running as well. But uh, looking at the actual players, you know, we're looking at will some records at the Combine be broken? Uh, will anybody run, you know, the fastest 20-yard shuffle to be 3.81? You know, it's, it sounds really granular. It seems really specific, but this really goes to show uh, just how much our players at Bavada love to digest this stuff. So whether it's bench pressing, whether it's running, whether it's the broad jump, uh, sounds like my old track and field days, but we've got all this on the website and they're all taking a lot of money. I would say the most bet on one so far is fastest 40 yard dash time. If it's faster than 4.29 seconds, that has taken the most money so far at Bavada, but the whole the whole draft combine stuff is just absolutely nuts. The money's just piling in, Seth. 
All right, let's quickly switch gears to college basketball. The conference tournaments are next week. So teams are jockeying for position in seedings. I know there's a lot of bye weeks and such like that for all these uh, massive conference tournaments. So we are two weeks away from Selection Sunday. What are people betting on now? Because we'll be revisiting this in the weeks to come. Yeah, interesting to see where our futures board has come uh, all the way from October uh, before games really started to get going. And I think what's been interesting so far is that Houston has been uh, finally recognized. The analytics community has really liked the University of Houston Cougars for the last couple of years. They've had some uh, deep runs into March and uh, they're, they're the current one seed and they're the current odds on favorite at Bavada at plus 650. Uh, finally, because, uh, listen, they're getting the AP votes. Ken Palm loves them. They're playing really strong, consistent basketball. Uh, you know, we, we like them to be one of the top teams, uh, one of the last four standing, definitely last year. But I would say outside of that, what has been uh, surprising has been the kind of money that Alabama has continued to take in, even after the recent issue with Brandon Miller uh, being connected to that kind of shooting. We didn't know if that's going to be a distraction to the team. Uh, they're currently out there at 10 to 1 and still being bet a lot heavily. Uh, you know, we're seeing a lot of money on the game to game base. I think what's really been impressive is uh, Texas, the Longhorns at number nine this year. They started off all the way at something like 50 to 1. They're down to 10 to 1. Uh, they've had really, really, a really strong run. Um, you know, I, I love this time of year because I actually get to pay attention and give college basketball the dues that I wish I could in November when it's dominated by some of these other uh, sports that are out there, you know, really a, a buffet of sports to enjoy. But I would say the other team that's been really, really impressive has been uh, Mick Cronin and UCLA. Uh, in his three years at UCLA, um, he's got to the Final Four a couple times. He's got a number four ranked team right now. They are currently 12 to one at Bavada after having much higher odds to start the year. A really, really popular bet with us. Um, I love it. I, you know, as much as we have conference tourney games to look forward to, Seth, next week, uh, we're really starting to see the top of the futures board really solidified as to who we're expecting to maybe make deep runs in March. So uh, really, really fun time here. The NHL this week will have its trade deadline, and it seems like every team in the Eastern Conference made a blockbuster deal. Carolina made a deal. The, the, the New York Rangers made a deal. Oh, and my beloved New Jersey Devils made a big, big-time deal. Uh, how have the NHL futures changed, especially in that Eastern Conference? Seth, what a what a weekend and week of transactions in the NHL. Uh, listen, the, the Leafs went for it as well with uh, Ryan O'Reilly. So, you know, they're, they're going to be up there as well. But, I mean, how good is the Eastern Conference playoffs going to be <laughs> this year? I mean, I'm, I'm already kind of – I'm simultaneously excited and depressed at the Leafs you know, losing in the first round uh, once again, but that's because of how tight it is. I think, you know, looking at the futures board and how this has moved, uh, these are impact signings all over the place, but because so many teams did it, it's still relatively tight. I mean, we saw Carolina move from eight to one down to seven to one. We saw Toronto dip from 10 to one down to nine to one. Looking at your New Jersey Devils, they were 18 to one. They're now down to 15 to one. So we're seeing some tight movements, but man, this is still a conference where the Boston Bruins still exist. Uh, and they're current uh, plus 425 overall Stanley Cup favorites at Bavada. So when I see how tight that is, we see six to one, six fifties, eight to ones, 12 to ones out there. Uh, man, we are in for some really good hockey. And uh, I, I mean, just what I'm, although I hate to say your New York Rangers, not your New York Rangers, your Ugh. 
ill begotten New York Rangers. God, they're right there in the mix two at eight to one, Seth. So, uh, my gosh, I, I think we just saw the rich get richer leading into the weekend. And it's, I think it's only going to get crazier with the trade deadline. But, man, we have good hockey in front of us. The end of the NHL regular season and the playoffs are just going to be fantastic. That is Patrick Morrow, the head odds maker at Bavada. Now more hockey talk with the former Hartford Whaler slash Carolina Hurricanes announcer, NHL on NBC announcer, turned Seattle Kraken play-by-play man, John Forsland. You know, it's funny. My history in Seattle, uh, I came there in 98. And when I got there, I was concerned that there was no hockey. And I remember... It was during a spring. I want to say it was the two, the 99-2000 season, the, the year New Jersey played Dallas in the finals. Uh, I was hosting on KJR, and I wanted to do a segment, like talking about the series. And I got sat down by the the, the program director at KJR, uh, who's a dear friend of mine, who said, we don't talk hockey in this market. You yeah. don't do it. You, don't, you, you simply do, do not do it. I also remember talking to the late Barry Ackerley, and I remember him looking at Key Arena. We were in Key Arena at the time, and he purposely made it small because he said, if we made it big enough for the NHL, it, we would compete with them for the entertainment dollar. Mm-hmm. And it, that logic, I think, cost Seattle the basketball team because if you had had mm-hmm. an NHL team there, the basketball team never would have left. That's and right. so, so, so multiplying that, I, I think it's interesting to hear you say that the Kraken still have to win people over because the reality of it is, is, is this city was not just un, not exposed to hockey. They literally forced it down your throat. The opposite seeing you wearing a Kraken hat is fascinating to me, considering my experience in that town was literally the exact opposite. Yeah, exactly. And so there is an interesting dynamic here. Also, when you take into account major junior hockey is really in the neighborhood, too. So the Thunderbirds have been here a while. Everett has a strong franchise. Um, there, Great name for all- a city. Yeah, and, yes, absolutely. And I hope you have the keys to it. Anyway, uh, the... Uh, I have an Aqua uh, Sox jersey that says Everett on the front. That's great. <laughs> that is really good. It's really good. But, the, you know, the, the youth hockey really hasn't soared to a high level, and that's part of the mission of the Kraken. But the Kraken now have done some great things, as you know. They, they The community initiatives they've taken on are groundbreaking and vitally important. And if you're going to be, if you know anything about Seattle, you know that you have to get yourself in the community and you have to do goodwill in the community for all the right reasons. And they can figure figure you out if you're not authentic, right? And so the Kraken are doing that. And I think that outreach is going to help them. I think the, the game will take care of itself, how competitive the team is. And I think uh, basically they have a first cabin facility, maybe the best arena in North America. I think it is, um, you know, so everything is, 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 is to the good. It's a proving ground stage right now. It's going to take a little bit of time, but it, there is a race going on here to get the Kraken very relevant before the NBA comes whenever that day is. There's no doubt about it. This portion of sports with friends is presented by factor meals. Every year around New Year's, there's new goals, New Year's resolutions. Come on, everybody wants to eat healthier. 
And what happens is you get busy. And there's a reason why they call it fast food. America's number one ready-to-eat meal kit is called Factor. When I have free time, I love to cook. But on days when I have to put sports with friends together, I am too busy to cook. This week was a perfect example. We got our first shipment from Factor, and it replaced a few meals this week. I had the shredded chicken taco bowl. I opted for the protein plus category. The chicken piccata was really good. My wife had the Louisiana shrimp. No matter your lifestyle, Factor has delicious flavor-packed meals to help you live to the fullest. They have keto, calorie smart, vegan and veggie, protein plus options on the menu each week. Prepared by chefs and approved by dietitians, each meal has all the ingredients you need to feel satisfied all day long. You want to cut back on takeout? Get Factor instead. Not only is Factor cheaper than takeout, but meals are ready faster than restaurant delivery in just two minutes. I've tried this stuff. It is great. Simply choose your meals and enjoy fresh, flavor-packed meals delivered to your door in just two minutes. No prep, no mess. Head to factormeals.com slash friends50 and use the code friends50 to get 50% off your first box. That's code FRIENDS50 at factormeals.com slash FRIENDS50. That's factormeals.com slash FRIENDS50. And you'll get 50% off your first box. Factor Meals. Oh, I'm hungry already. Let's talk a little bit about your career and kind of work backwards. Um, The decision, uh, whether it was your decision or not, again, I don't know how much you want to reveal, um, mm-hmm. leaving a place and a franchise that you had been with for so long um, to come to Seattle. Um, mm-hmm. I don't want to, you know, just all of a sudden, you know, paint the rose colored glasses. I love Seattle. I, 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 I can't ask in good conscience, why, why would you go to Seattle? <laughs> I know why you went to Seattle. It's a wonderful, wonderful place. What about your thought process to go and uproot your entire world from the East coast to the West at this mm-hmm. stage in your career? Yeah, that's a great question. So, and I think because of the way you frame the question, maybe I can get a little deeper into what happened because a lot of people just say, you know, a decision was made and you moved on and you blah, blah, blah. Well, it wasn't an easy decision, number one. Uh, Number two was not my decision. I think a lot of people um, have speculated, fans certainly in that market have speculated that it was some kind of discussion over a contract and money. It was not. Um, there was obviously a contract negotiation that was a one-way negotiation. And I was really backed up into a corner. So I didn't have a choice at the time. It, it's a decision that they made um, for whatever reason. Um, I found it impossible to to continue under the terms that were presented to me with no negotiation whatsoever up against the pandemic and the pandemic was kind of used as a a crutch maybe Mm -hmm. to force me into this decision so I was kind of forced into it um I've I've moved on in a big way and psychologically too um because you're right when you're in a place for a long time with your family uh you're entrenched in a community and I thought I did a lot of good work there it was really hard to to leave um but we did and I say we because I had to present everything to my family and say really we don't have a choice here guys we're going to make a decision here and we're going to we're going to break off from the hurricanes and so I did 
Um, I wish those fans all the best there. I wish Rod Brindamore all the best with the team. I follow them closely. They're still in my heart somewhere. Um, I don't have a lot to say about anything else there. I'll leave it at that. Um, I appreciate the what you did say. Yeah, and 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 so now what do you do? So luckily, I was in the in a slot with NBC, and the league was uh, repurposing in the bubble, and we're going to carry on with entertainment for fans that were you know in quarantine, and we're yep. going to expose the game on television, do television only without fans. And so Sam Flood gave me an opportunity to continue. I did. Um, I had worked my way up the ladder. Um, it was in a real good spot with that group. Um, two jobs were open at the time. There was a job in Tampa and there was a new team in Seattle. Now, Ron Francis, um, who I obviously known for a long time, sure. um, was the first person to call me on July 1st, 2020, when my deal went public, that it, it was done. It was like the opening uh, of free agency. Well, he called me to, <laughs> Seth, he called me to ask me how I was. And he asked about my wife and he asked about the kids. And he said, hey, I'm going to, I'm going to hook you up with Todd Lewicki. And we just talked to him. He didn't mention coming to Seattle. Would you just come to see? He said, would you just talk to Todd? And so I did. And so Todd talked to me for about two months, you know, when I was in the bubble, both in Toronto and Edmonton and all the, and I'll tell you the initial conversations, which I will, which I will um, cherish for the rest of my career were more about how to get through this. I had never been not renewed. I had never been fired, luckily. I never worked for any team in the NHL but one. I worked right. for Hartford, and Hartford became Carolina. I worked seven years in the American Hockey League before that, and that's it. So I was very lucky and fortunate to do that. And so he helped me get through a period where you figure it out. It was an isolation. I was doing games in a bubble. I had lost my position. I had a lot of things going on in my head. Um, I did the best I could to not get depressed over it. Um, I got a beautiful family and they kept me going in the best way possible. So, you know, so now what do you do? So then Todd started in about maybe coming to Seattle and maybe we could make this work. And he talked to me about how great it is out here. Now, remember, because of the pandemic, I could not come to Seattle. I had never been to them. Seattle. Right. Yeah, I couldn't meet them. I couldn't come see the city. I couldn't drive around. I couldn't do anything. My couldn't look only... at houses in the suburbs or wherever yeah, you might yeah. want. Yeah, and the only memory I had of Seattle or, or was from the the 70s in the Kingdom with Gus Williams and downtown Freddie Brown and Sigma <laughs> and all these guys and Lenny Wilkins, right? And somewhat of the Mariners and that's and and the Seahawks. And I knew, wow, this is a tremendous fan base for all of yeah. these sports, a great sports town. I knew that. So, and I knew it was a great market and there's always this mystique about the Pacific Northwest. So I got all of that stuff. And anyway, Tampa Bay presented me with a contract offer and it was restrictive in terms of my national work with NBC. So I, I respectfully declined, moved on, continued with NBC and in and around Christmas, 2020 going into 21, Seattle presented me with an unbelievable opportunity and I took it and I took it you know, with a little bit of advice, I asked Sam Flood running NBC, you know, what do you think I should do? This is before the talks broke down with NBC and ESPN, Disney came in, 
Turner came in, you know, we looked like we were going to continue with the NHL. He said, you know what, you should take it, still work for us. He said, but that is an unbelievable opportunity. And I'm glad he gave me that advice along with my agent, my wife, you know, all the people I count on. We made a decision. We're going to go to Seattle. And it was unbelievable that I did. And so from day one, I recognized I was with a special group and a special opportunity. I realized at the stage of my career, I get a chance to mark time with a franchise for the second time. How many announcers get a chance to do that? Right. Yeah. So we went to Virgin Territory with Raleigh and we did it. And now we're here in Virgin Territory and we're going to do it. So it's just it's it's just an unbelievable, unbelievable thing. Then the talks broke down and I, you know, I really wanted to get back to a team. When I was an independent national broadcaster, which is great, I didn't uh, I didn't understand how great team announcing is too. You can do both, and I plan on it. But um, but it gives you a connection with a fan base from the preseason to the playoffs that is unmatched. So that's what I wanted to do. That's what ended up happening. And time has marched on, and I am so happy, invigorated. We're kind of bi-coastal family-wise, and we're navigating all of that. But everything else is in the past. And like I say, I'm in a good place with Carolina. I watch what they do. I'm, I'm, I'm very happy with, with what they do on the ice. And uh, I wish them all the best. And the fans especially. Because those fans in Raleigh are really great. Let's go on a quick tangent then based on what you just said. Uh, what did you make of the uh, game at NC State, the uh, the outdoor game? I knew, I knew it would be fantastic. And I knew it would be fantastic because Such all of spectacle. this. Such a spectacle. So yeah, beautiful. It, it was. But. It's almost like people got hit over the head with this for the first time. It's almost like, oh, my God, we're having a stadium game in Raleigh, and it's really special. It's got nothing to do with what's – I mean, their team is outstanding and a yeah. legitimate Stanley Cup contender. So the interest in this team is at the highest level it's ever been. But in 2004, when the level of interest was not that great and the NHL draft came to Raleigh, it was a special event. Like the people that remember that or were there understand that the people made it great. When the All-Star game came to Raleigh in 2011, it was a great event. It was the first player draft. Um, it was still a game five on five. The skills competition was was unbelievably done well. Uh, the the area supported it. The, the fans came out. It was just crazy. So I wasn't surprised. And every playoff season there has been fantastic, right? And they've won a Stanley Cup. So don't don't say, hey, look, this is brand new. Look what's happened here. It's got nothing to do with the people that are there now, really. It's got everything to do with what is there, what they've capitalized on now. There's more people there than ever that have moved into those areas of the country, and they're turned on by the hurricanes. And it's a great, bu a great building, great stadium, and there's tremendous tradition there, and they did it right. And I was happy to see the ratings that, as they were. ABC did a fantastic job with it. Yeah. And uh, it was a home run for the NHL. The uh, what was the year that the uh, Hurricanes scored those two goals in the third period against New Jersey to eliminate them uh, against Brodeur in a in a playoff series? Oh, that was in that was um, that was with UC Yokinen, right? Yep. That was at, at yep. the buzzer, so that would have oh. been in two thousand nine. Yeah, two thousand oh, yeah, that was two thousand nine. That was a yeah. form of that was a unique form of torture. Yeah. Yeah, and then, it, and then there was the shock at the rock. Yeah, shock at the yeah, rock. Shock at the, the rock. Game series. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. That's with the yeah. That was uh, that was incredible. That was incredible. Yeah. I never I, to this day I don't remember a game you know in regulation like that because that was uh, we all thought we were going to overtime and then think again yeah. and then it was over. That yeah. was it. That was, that was yeah. Nuts. Yep.
Yeah, my I'm I'm kind of teaching my uh, my 14 year old. Uh, she's obsessed with uh, with hockey, and she, uh, you know, I, every once in a while I talk about the history and what you know what I what I say to her about uh, the NHL, which I, I think is unlike other sports. I'm not I'm not knocking other sports. I love other sports, but uh, in hockey, I think it's as much fun to dislike your rivals as it is to like your team. Yeah. Like, I, I hate the Rangers as much as I like the devils, <laughs> Just, you know, and yeah, the hurricanes are right games. up there. The greatest show yeah. of respect for the hurricanes is I really can't stand them. And it's hard. They're, right. they're hard right. to watch. <laughs> people, people say that now about yeah. Seattle with Vancouver yes. and it's going to be a rivalry. And I say, well, it's not going to be a rivalry not until Vancouver is good. Right. Until they're good. And there's playoffs. Right. And the playoffs breed all of this. And so, yeah. and then I go to that because I say, you know, geographically and historically, absolutely right. Carolina and New Jersey are not rivals, but they are. Right. But they are now, right? They are. Totally. And, and and stress history. That's great that you're doing that because I wouldn't be doing this today if um, when I was a little boy I didn't look at history because I wasn't a great reader. My mom stressed to me the importance of reading, so she said, "You love doing this little hobby of yours. Why don't you read about the history of hockey?" And I did. So I immersed myself in all of that. So I knew things that that's helped great. me in my career as I got got into it. Right. That's so really, that's really good. Cool. Um, I wanted to uh, to go back before we we wrap this up. Um, you mentioned Hartford. Uh, mm -hmm. the, the job you got was with the Whalers. Um, there are some people I know that subscribe to this podcast that are still loyal uh, to the Whalers. So I have two questions there. Uh, number one, what was it like relocating and reinventing yourself um, doing the job for the same franchise, the same boss, but in a new place? What can you say about the city of Hartford and your experience in Hartford um, because there are people in Hartford that are still heartbroken about losing that team. I, I always believe, and you know, one of the ideas I've always had is I think a great docuseries would be about relocation. Relocation is the, the most under, uh, discussed story, you know, so, the supersonics to Oklahoma, the whalers to Carolina, you know, the Nordiques yeah. to Colorado, whatever, whatever it is. Um, just a, a comment on your position with Hartford to Carolina and then, just your thought on Hartford. Yeah, it was really a crazy time in my life. Um, first of all, I grew up in Springfield. So I grew up 28 miles you know, north of Hartford. So right. I knew all the history and followed it. Now I grew up a Bruin fan. I will admit this. I, I grew up a Bruin fan, a staunch Bruin fan. If Bobby Orr doesn't score the goal in 1970 and I'm listening to Dan Kelly on CBS, I'm not sure I'm a broadcaster in hockey today. Hmm. That one moment turned me on to the cadence and this hobby that led to a, a wow. vocation in my life. Yeah. So, so anyway, that, that, sharing that, yeah. So basically the Bruins were my thing and the Whalers were okay, but the Whalers were in the WHA and they pirated a lot of players from the American hockey league. And we had an American hockey league team in Springfield and still do for years. Yeah. And so I kind of had a little bit of animosity as a young boy against them, but then I got to watch them and then they moved into the NHL and all of this. And then I got to work and basically at the end of my minor league career, not for them, but with them because they were our affiliate. And that's how I got into Hartford. And I had to make a life choice because I wasn't getting any traction for a radio or television gig in the NHL at the time. 
and Hartford presented me with a PR position. And I knew I could still broadcast on the side. I still freelanced for Sports Channel, but I also yeah. went into PR because it was a career choice with something called benefits and a 401k plan <laughs> and a lot of things that we could start our family on. So I went there. And I got there the summer after they traded Ron Francis. And I got there as a PR guy when the fan base went from about 12,000 season tickets to six. And so we had all the repair work to do. And then the ownership was breaking down and he was looking to do something else. And, um, and then the new group came in led by Peter Carmanis and Jim Rutherford. And when they came in, they got me in there and they said, we really like the job you've done in this role. And I said, well, I, I'm looking at a couple of other jobs. And I want to be a broadcaster. And Jim said, well, just bear with us. Let's get through this lockout in 94, see where we go. And then uh, there might be something down the road for you. And he gave me my chance to get into television in 1995. And I'm indebted to him for that. So um, basically what I'll say is this, Hartford's a wonderful place. Unfortunately, it was, uh, it was wedged between New York and Boston too geographically close. And once the fan base started to dissipate, but not the passion, the people just went away. Unfortunately, they got very sour at the team for its on-ice success and forgot how to back the team the best they could. But they did at the end. When we moved, we had almost 100% capacity because they had to. Jim Rutherford actually liked Hartford. He, a lot of people don't know that. He wanted it to work there. But the state's level of cooperation was not anywhere near where it needed to be. So the owner made the decision that a lot of owners make to relocate the team. And it was tough. And right. for it's me, it's the was, first owner to do that. No. And I worked for them. Right. And I owe them a lot. And I'm a loyal guy. Always have been. So I would make public statements based on what I knew were the facts. And they weren't always taken you know with a lot of uh, acceptance by the fan base there so I was viewed as one of them when I was really one of the Hartford people you know I grew up there people kind of thought I was this outsider attached with the move it was difficult for me there were others that were always whalers like Chuck Caton the great Chuck Caton he was always a whaler even when we went to the hurricanes you know he was a, a you know still part of that whole thing. So um, it was funny how we were both viewed kind of differently. We went to North Carolina. No one knew why we were even going to be there. We had to play out of market for two seasons while they built the arena. Yeah, Go to Greensboro for every home game. Yeah. And it was kind of a circus, to be honest with you. Uh, this situation, generation a generation later, in a, in a world later, I mean, an expansion startup, the way it's organized now is not even close to what we went through. We went through like just- But you had COVID and almost didn't have the building yeah. open on time. Right, so there were some real challenges that way. Yeah. Um, but the but the other thing that happened in North Carolina is that we were kind of dropped in from Mars and people yeah. didn't understand why, but we had to do all of that work to get it going. But it was very rewarding. I'm glad I went there because we raised our family there. Some of the best years of my life professionally were spent there and personally. And uh, now we're just going on with a new chapter, but an invigorating one. Uh, last thing on Hartford. Uh, this is a question that has come up a number of times on the podcast. I've asked uh, Gary Bettman about this. I've asked other hockey people about this. Uh, reporters, media types, all, all different. You have a very unique perspective on the answer. Uh, two years ago, when the NHL launched version one of the reverse retros, the Colorado Avalanche uh, reverse retro was a Quebec Nordiques logo. And the Carolina Hurricanes logo was a Hartford Whalers logo. Uh, they wore them uh, as, as a result. Uh, 
the NHL kept saying uh, it was an homage to the to the past. Uh, but a lot of Whaler fans that I had seen on social media just said it's a flat out punch in the gut. Uh, yeah. They took our team and 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 that's that's not how it works. You know, they, they, yeah. you don't wear our colors. What's your thought? on? It's interesting that in version two of the reverse retro, none of that happened. Uh, in, in none of the teams uh, wore those logos. And I think I, I kind of know why. What was your thought on the Hurricanes? And the Hurricanes wear Whalers uniforms on other nights, too, uh, yeah. uh, for, for different things. What's your thought on the idea of wearing the Whalers colors in North Carolina? I was very bitter about it when they decided to do it for the first time. I thought, it, to be honest with you, I thought it was a money grab. I really did smart and and the owner in, in of the hurricanes is very brilliant. Okay. And he's smart. Um, and so he recognized that there was a demand for this merchandise. Now for years, Mr. Carmanis would not put that stuff up in the team store because he had the, the feelings that he had for the area. And actually he did the fan base there a favor because he was so bitter about what happened. He said, we're not mentioning this. He didn't even want the team records uh, um, um, recognized. You know, he yeah. wanted a separate category. He didn't want us to mention the whalers when we first got there. You know, he was oh, adamant. Uh, don't about say that. whalers yeah. on the on the on yeah, the on the, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't 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 do that. Um, and and you know what? It was. Um, I'll give you a case in point. Keith Primo had a point streak that was rivaling a, a streak that Ron Francis had in Hartford. And we had a big discussion about whether it was a new record or an old record. And he didn't want the past recognized anyway. And he was basically wrong about it. And I got my way in that one. But yeah. it, it basically it's this. Um, I, I thought that at the beginning. And then when I saw the celebration and the colors and how striking they are, and that some people were enjoying that. I said, okay, this is good. You know, I think it, I think it is good, but I do understand how the people feel there. And um, it's because of that passion that it was a very, very special place. So uh, all of a sudden the merchandise was for sale in North Carolina. People are buying it. And, you know, the, the team's internet's making it available in Connecticut too. Right, exactly. And so we and then we went into Boston and we played with our whaler sweaters on. Oh, and that was that was uh, that was unbelievable. That was and it was hard a hard game to call because I kept having flashbacks. I would see yeah. <laughs> I think Dougie Hamilton, I think Dougie Hamilton wore 27 yeah. with Carolina, but I kept thinking it was Scott Young, right? Like I would <laughs> I would think of these things. I never said it. Um, but it but it but it would go through my head. Right. And it's as, as a as a play caller, you know, that's really difficult so get me all get me all screwed up um but anyway that's that's kind of the way i feel about it you it's the ultimate in mixed emotions that's the only way i can describe it it's the ultimate in mixed emotions and over time a lot of people we have a lot of friends and family up there um they were bitter i would go back sure. in the summer oh, and sure. i would get in these barbecue conversations with people that i didn't move the team yeah. Oh, well, you went with them and you're a traitor, you know, and all this stuff. And I lived through that. And, and I'll tell you one funny story before we go. Yeah, I was on the yeah. beach up in Maine. We vacation in Maine. And I went down to the beach to get one of the kids, you know, out of the water. And I had my uh, Hurricanes T-shirt on with a bathing suit. And this guy was sitting in a chair and he... He was humming something as I walked by. And then when I got my, I think my son and got him out of the water, brought him back. As I walked by him again, he hummed the same song. You know what it was? It was Brass Bonanza. He recognized <laughs> me or the shirt. 
or both. And he was going dun 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 and I, I couldn't believe it. And we never exchanged any conversation. He just did that. Yeah. I love it. I love it. That is fantastic. Uh, when we, uh, we wrap the podcast, so we usually do so about uh, social media. I'm glad that's the way you, you and I connected. Um, what uh, What's your thought on social media? In a guy in your position uh, with these loyal fan bases, the way you have, who's also done national stuff. Um, what, what's your thought on, on social media at this point? Well, the only issue, thank God so far that I've had social media wise negatively involves the Islander fan base and involves a playoff game in 2019 that I did on NBC on a Sunday afternoon at Barclays center with Eddie Olchek and Brian Boucher. And there was a goaltender interference situation and we were having a three-way conversation and Eddie and I, from our angle, saw it this way. And then Boosh, from his angle across the ice, saw it the same way. And at the end of the conversation, I said, so we're good. And they said, yeah, we're good. And it's like if you and I agree on a point and I say, Seth, we're good. That's how I meant it. The Islander fans took it as I was a hurricane-biased guy yeah, saying yeah. that the call was going in their favor. And we're good. Hurricanes are good. And this whole firestorm started to, and some fans still continue it. Although many of the Islander fans since, because I've done playoff games with them, including the last game at the Coliseum, um, uh -huh. they were, they've been terrific with me. You know, many of them, there are still some people that throw some darts that still can't stand me because of that one instance. They're very passionate people. Islander fans, like most, are terrifically passionate about their team. I, yeah. I get all of that. I don't enjoy it. I have to be on it because it's news. Uh, that's how we get our news today. Certainly right, around right. this time of the year, if you don't have Twitter and you're a hockey person, you're probably out to lunch because you can't, it's split second that this news comes out about trades and so on. Sure. Um, I don't like the, uh, I do watch a lot of the things. And what I do is I just monitor it. I'm not caught up in what they're saying positively or negatively, because it's very easy now for fans to watch games and take apart announcers on mistakes and misspeaks and so on. Um, it's a hard job. It's hard to be perfect in an imperfect world, but that's what we have to do. Um, but what I do do is I watch for irresponsible comments. And when there is something irresponsible said or I think I need to stand up for either a team, a player, or myself, I'll do it. Um, that's about it. But I, I, I disdain a lot of the negative side of it. I think it's gotten out of control. Uh, started out, like most, as a good thing and has developed into a cesspool at times. So that's how I feel. About it. It has. Well, John, uh, it's been an absolute thrill to have you on the podcast. Uh, let's do this again, man. Uh, okay, anytime. Maybe over the summer when you have a lot less going on. <laughs> that yep. might have been a good idea. And, uh, yeah, uh, let's get grab a beer uh, next time you guys come to the East Coast or yep. maybe when I'm out in the West Coast. Uh, look me up. When you when you come out here, look me up. Been a follower for a free years and uh just a uh, thrill to have you on the show you're gonna love climate pledge arena when you see it so yeah, I, i'll just I, i'll just I, let it sell itself you you talk about it after you see it i can't wait uh, that yeah. should be a lot, a lot of fun john forsland here on sports with friends good luck my friend thank you seth appreciate it thanks so much for listening thanks so much for the support you've been giving this podcast over the years thanks want to give a special shout out to chris at underdog for helping support this podcast and make sure it gets on every platform that you're listening to it we really appreciate his help that company is going very strong we'll see you next week with another new episode
If you want me to stay, I'll be around today to be available for you to see. I'm about to go, and then you'll know for me to stay. I got to be me. Taking up my time.